Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. On this week's episode, I am delighted to be introducing you to our next special guest, founder and director of the Myrtle Oak Clinic, Jodie Sheraton. Jodie is an accredited dietitian and accredited nutritionist who graduated from the University of Newcastle. Jodie is also currently the director of Optimum Intake Dietitians and holds the position as an executive committee member of Dietitians Australia DA's Eating Disorder Interest Group. Jodie has over 13 years experience working in the field of eating disorders, where Jodie maintains her passion to work from a non-diet dietitian approach and a health at every size haze approach. That is why on this week's episode, we will be speaking about the topic of working as a dietitian in the eating disorder space where Jodie will explore the complex nature of people's relationships with food by highlighting that all people have unique stories around food and require unique types of support for that. So please enjoy our next lovely guest, Jodie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jodie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Excited to have you on. So to start us off, would you be able to provide a little background information about yourself and speak about some things that you like to do to stay well? Yeah, sure. So my name's Jodie Sheraton. I'm an accredited practicing dietitian and I've been working in the eating disorder space probably for almost 15 years now. Um, And I guess that experience has been across both the public health system and also in private practice. So Currently, I um, am the owner of Myrtle Oak Clinic, which is an eating disorder clinic up on the central coast of New South Wales. Um, And we have a team of psychologists and dietitians working here with us. And my, my starting point into eating disorders was kind of just by chance. I hadn't you know, studied with a purpose of working in eating disorders, but I came across a position that was like a maternity leave placement. And um, I ended up just falling in love with the the type of work, the clients I was working with and the team. And my passion for working in this space just really grew from, from that. So I stayed in that position for almost 10 years um, before then jumping into starting up my own private practice specifically in this space. Well, it's amazing that you landed in this space because it's such an important space that needs people in it. So, mm. But to speak about some things that you like to do for self-care, mm-hmm. what do you like to do? Yeah, 
Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty busy person, so I'm the, the owner of this, um, clinic and, you know, I have, um, two children, family interests. And so for me, it's kind of finding a little bit of a balance to, to fit all that in. Um, and of course there's times where, you know, I'm pulled towards, um, being more in the business or pulled towards being more with my family. And I think just recognizing that nothing is going to be exactly equal in my life. And so it's kind of like just ebbs and flows and, and figuring that out. But I think, you know, if I stick to what I know helps me feel well in myself, which is getting sufficient sleep, you know, there's times where you know, you kind of get stuck staying up a bit late or maybe the kids wake you up a few times throughout the night and you just know in your own body when you need to kind of catch up. So I really value sleep as a part of keeping me well and then just staying um, quite active on weekends with my kids. They do a lot of sports. So I just love watching them grow and watching their skills grow with that. So it's kind of just that balance of self-care with my sleep and then also just family time to break up the um the business of the work and the life balance I love it the sleep's the most valued (laughs) so busy sleep make sure that's in the day yeah for sure so each week on the podcast we like to ask our guests about a recent challenge that they've experienced Mm. and how they have managed to overcome it do you have one maybe I'll just speak to challenges in general because I feel like you know, we all have challenges each and every day, whether they're smaller challenges or perhaps like larger, bigger challenges. And for me, in how I approach a particular challenge is to really ask for help. Um, I think that is a skill that I have learned, you know, over time that if you're willing to ask, a lot of people will jump at the chance to say yes to help you. And so whether it is something small that you can get support with or something larger that, you know, you really need um, multiple people to be there to support you, to encourage you or to help take a load off and do something for you. To me, that's how I work through challenges is building a team or a community around myself to to help overcome whatever's popped up for the day or for the year. Wow. I really love that because as a mum, as a director, Mm -hmm. Um, as a business owner just being able to ask for help when you're kind of at the top (laughs) so it's amazing that you're kind of promoting the teamwork side of that yeah absolutely it's the only way to be able to help prevent burnout exhaustion and just to not feel like you're in this alone you know people are there to to help so ask for it yes and everyone does need help too yeah so on the topic of today, what's it like working as a dietitian in the eating disorder space? Hmm. I think there's maybe two words that pop up when I'm thinking of how would I describe being a dietitian, particularly in this eating disorder field. And the first word that comes up is rewarding. Like it is such a rewarding space as a dietitian to work in this area. And probably the second word I would also use is challenging um so I might just talk a little bit about both of those uh I think you know I I started working and focusing on eating disorder work pretty early on in my career um and it was just by chance and I had to quickly upskill learn a lot 
And I think that really helped grow my own personal appreciation of food and really start to look at food differently to how we were traditionally taught at university, which was very much around nutrients, very much around energy, calories, all that. And working within this space and learning how diet culture, dieting and all those, um, I guess, strategies, if you want to call them that, really impacted and increased someone's risk of developing an eating disorder. So I very quickly wanted to change the way in which I worked with clients. And it it really helped form something that is more widely known um, today in how dietitians work, which is around that non-dieting aspect of working and and how we view food. So for me, it really helped me appreciate food more, appreciate the body, the brain, and even food socially and the importance of culture and social connectedness through food. Um, so that's been something that I really enjoyed. And then also working as a dietitian in eating disorders, we work as part of a team. And so I've had, you know, the um the pleasure of working alongside a lot of different psychologists. And so having that combined with, I guess, closely working with doctors, that's really helped inform my practice. And it makes it feel less isolating as a clinician when you are in such a collaborative way working and helping to support clients. And then I think the only part where it feels challenging is that the the eating disorder itself can really create a lot of medical instability or a lot of um, physical challenges, mental health challenges for a person. So, you know, we do want to create a um, a welcoming space, supported space where our clients can come and really share about what they're going through and their journey around food and eating and, and all those concerns. So for me, at times that can feel challenging holding that space for someone, but that's also then where the rewarding part comes in as well, because I know that that is such a vital aspect of the recovery journey and being able to support someone through that. So that's probably where I feel that I would describe it as both rewarding and challenging, probably at the same time. Yes. And as an, as a dietitian, you would have seen eating disorders come up and to be able to kind of support someone in that space, you'd really have to know your stuff. So it's good that you've been able to kind of go into that area and really connect with all the different multidisciplinary type practitioners in that space too, because it's so needed. Yeah. And look, I started working in this space like 15 years ago and there was very rarely any training or supports around developing a dietitian within this space. So now it's just incredible that we have the, the credentialing system that's up. There is so many opportunities for dietitians to upskill and to be able to really um, safely support clients in this space of dietetics. So it's really exciting. It is. So how might you see people commonly struggle with food in the eating disorder space? Hmm. Um, oh, there's there's probably a multitude ways in which people do find food and, and eating and how they view their body a bit of a struggle. Um, I guess when we think about eating disorders, we usually think to what are some of the behaviors that we sort of see displayed? And um, you know, that can really look like some restrictive eating, um, could be binge eating. Um, it could be challenges with sensory aspects to food or aversions to food. And so, you know, how food is viewed for an individual can also then impact on their own 
sense of self or self-worth and also their own relationship then with their body as well. So it's something that can be um, quite complex and it can also impact someone, you know, the extension of a person. So it can impact family, their home life, social life, relationships, um, enjoyment, of of eating as well so it's it's multifaceted and it can go quite deep into a person's life and I think that is why eating disorders can have um you know really devastating effects not only for the individual but also through families and well and as well and that's why we just need so much resources and research done in this area to really help support people to have treatment options available and to be able to strive for that recovery process yes because like you were saying people's relationship with food it's not simple it's complex and it's so diverse and different between each individual so to really be able to um, help people with their relationship with food especially with an eating disorder you really do need yeah the training (laughs) So how might supporting someone as a dietitian with, let's say, emotional eating or disordered eating be different to supporting someone who doesn't struggle with these things? Mm. Um, Again, I feel like there's a lot of similarity, but then there's also some differences. And I guess for for myself and the team here, we do follow the um, non-diet approach and the weight-inclusive healthcare approach no matter who presents to us with nutritional concerns, health concerns. And so there are a lot of similarities in how we will talk about food, how we um, talk about um, putting meals together, um, you know, talking about variety, all of those sort of aspects to eating. Where I feel it gets a little bit different for someone who maybe does struggle with emotional or disordered eating is how we need to perhaps understand a little bit more deeply the person's values or what food has meant for them over their life. And so we look to really understand what their individual thoughts are around food, perhaps what their food behaviours are and preferences, and really looking to see what aspect of that feels problematic for the individual how that might be affecting their their life, um, their functioning, and then look to explore together what is helpful from this point. So again, it could be the pace or of of topics that we cover. It could be the pace of change or trialing different things. It might be a little bit more um slower perhaps for someone who does have disordered eating and a lot of concerns and and anxiety or worries around food and changing things up compared to someone that perhaps doesn't um, have that disordered relationship with food. Yes but I really like how you were saying that even someone who may not have experienced eating disorders you still want to look at their thoughts around foods their values around foods and really working with them individually because it's yeah, hard to kind of change anyone's diet or really explore just food in general. Yeah, and often we're doing a lot of myth-busting or unpacking 
uh, with with anyone that comes through our doors. You know, the the culture and what's promoted in um, in society is around those very restrictive dieting practices. And so, even if someone doesn't have disordered eating, some of their beliefs may come from a restrictive um, perspective. And so, we're really wanting to release some of that and provide some evidence around why that's probably not going to be um, serving that individual well. Yes, definitely. So you were talking about, you know, inclusivity and a non-diet approach. Mm -hmm. So how might maybe an intuitive eating model be used within the eating disorder space and maybe not within other dietetic areas? So intuitive eating is a model that we do use again across the board it is um, a way that we do work with quite um, varied clientele and I suppose there are times where perhaps a particular individual may find this work a little bit more challenging where perhaps maybe they're not feeling that they can sense um, some of the feedback that the body does provide us when we're trying to eat intuitively, when we're trying to sense hunger or fullness signals. And so that can feel a little bit overwhelming. And that's where I guess when you're an experienced eating disorder dietitian, you can look to the individual and say, okay, let's trial this approach. And if this isn't working for you, then there's other ways in which we can help you still be able to nourish your body well, to be able to ensure that you're having enough food to meet your needs and approach food in a way that is either quite neutral or positive. And I guess that intuitive eating does allow us to move away from what the traditional weight-centric methods were with dietitians. And so I've seen this really big shift in the eating disorder space for dietitians that are becoming more and more aware of this way of working with clients probably over, you know, the past 10 years or so. And I think it's been so wonderful to see our profession really embracing this aspect of how can we intuitively, without looking at calories and, you know, different um, apps that might externally tell us how to eat but rather look internally to really get to know our body and think okay what is it needing and what are the signs that it's trying to relate to me with what I need to be providing it to feel good to to have the energy to get through the day to be able to enjoy what I'm eating and make sure that I'm able to nourish my body well yes and I like that you added um making sure that you're giving your body all the nutrients, even with intuitive eating, because I know you might not intuitively have that hunger type cues. So to have more food and make sure you're hitting those cues within it is really important. Um, But also in regards to like working in a hospital, it would be very different because you would have patients who maybe have illnesses or diagnosis that require a set type diet where intuitive eating really just kind of opens up that exploration and just a really different approach within that kind of dietetic relationship um have you ever kind of looked into the hospital type area of that and seen like the differentiations between eating disorders kind of dietetics as well as like maybe in like illness type area yeah so I see intuitive eating as 
a tool, a tool amongst a whole toolbox. So, of course, we've got, um, I guess, a, a way of working with people that does include like medical nutrition therapy, where if there is a particular illness or an allergy, where we need to be a little bit more prescriptive around foods that are helpful or harmful for whatever that condition is. It, that's more around, I guess, the specifics of types of food, whereas probably intuitive eating is more of a, how would I describe it? Um, it's it's a way that we can be best informed around when it's time to eat, how much do I feel like I need to eat? Is this meal that I'm having feeling particularly filling? Um, do I perhaps need to go back and have a bit more because actually I'm still feeling quite hungry after what I've you know initially had? So there's this if you kind of bring those two things together, you've got that nutritional knowledge around the nutrients and perhaps how that then links to nutritional needs, vitamins, minerals, energy, fiber, all of that. Then bringing that to crossover with how is my body feeling? How much do I need to eat? Um, you know, am I enjoying this? Is this satisfying? And so bringing those two together is probably that really natural way of being able to nourish the body depending on your individual needs. Yes, I really like that. Not looking at them as kind of, even though they're two separate things, but to be able to kind of bring them together, which, yeah, you definitely need to do. Yeah. So do you have any examples of maybe some complex food histories and how maybe in that situation you might best support someone if that was the case? Hmm. You know, we, we all carry with us a particular relationship with food and eating in our bodies, which is, you know, formed over our lifetime. And that can be influenced by, you know, many different factors or different people. And so when that experience hasn't necessarily been a positive one, um, it might have been, you know, a lot of negative comments or, you know, even if people are meaning well, the, the comments that they say can really impact our feelings and our emotions. Or sometimes there is, you know, traumatic experiences in our past as well. So I think for me, how I best support someone like that is to really listen and to, to just hear what that person's individual experiences have been. And that really helps me gain a little bit more like perspective and appreciation of, of where this person has been, what they have experienced with food and eating at this point. And then I guess we sort of together decide on a bit of a plan where to from here. So it is that sort of collaborative approach with, what feels right for them to help them move forward and how can I best support that in them taking action if they're ready to do something differently or at least consider what else could be helpful for them in that moment. Um, and then I think, you know, it's also as a dietitian in this space, we want to be working collaboratively. So then thinking, okay, from, from this person's um, experience with food and eating is there anyone else that should also be involved in this care so that's when we might look to combine some sessions with a psychologist or you know have the GP involved as well so where there is those complex food histories 
it really can be a team approach. And I think that's helpful for dietitians to remember as well so that we don't feel like we're the only person that can support this individual at the time, that it can be a whole team. Yes, definitely. And like you were saying with those maybe negative experiences or myths around food, um, what is the importance of creating positive eating attitudes towards food within the eating disorder space? Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's where we really sort of, I guess, you know, I sort of feel like I sit back and we just have some really great discussions around where where did this attitude or or thoughts around or the belief in food that has formed that is so negative you know is it something that they were brought up in their household thinking and behaving and acting with food in a particular way has it been maybe influenced by some social media exposure is it a culture around friendship groups so it's us sort of taking a a bit of a critical eye on how did this particular approach or perception of food form? And then we can look at to say, is there another way that we can look at this? Or is there any facts that perhaps would disprove this particular way of thinking about food or how food functions in our body? And just seeing where that, I guess, exploration takes us. And to see whether that is, if it was to continue being the the approach or how we're thinking about food, is it helpful to continue to do so in that way? Wow, yeah, I really like that, breaking that down because things would just come up from people that, you know, they might not have even been aware of that they've kind of taken on. Mm, yeah, for sure. So maybe how might you use nutritional counselling then for those who experience disordered eating, because I know you you like that approach. For sure. So I think nutrition counselling sort of takes, again, what we learnt at uni, which was more the nutrition education skill set. So at university, we're often taught, and again, I was, I was in university quite a few years ago. So back then uh, we were taught, you know, here here is an information sheet. Here are the facts. Let me tell you the facts about the nutrition and therefore you're going to go away and, and do that. Um, whereas, you know, nutritional counselling has, um, I guess, elevated how dietitians work and best support people across, you know, any nutritional needs, not only for the eating disorder space, I take a lot more of a personalized approach. So I guess we're looking at exploring things about food that is, you know, beyond just that nutrition education, sort of extending our skills to incorporate um, a way of working where we're asking the right questions and then sitting back and listening to um, the client to help them kind of uncover what their food or body beliefs are. We look for sources of information about these beliefs and really thinking is what they're currently doing working for them? Perhaps yes, in the short term, but what would this look like if their eating behaviors or eating approach was to continue in the longer term? And so looking at what some personal goals are and what the individual's definition of recovery is, and then thinking, okay, what are some next steps that we can take together 
to head in the direction for where they want to be going. And so it is a lot more talking, it's a lot more listening, there is still education thrown in there, but it's not as directed as far as I'll tell you what to do, you go away and do it. So it's a lot more of a collaborative approach. It is It is so much more rewarding as a clinician to include some counselling skills with how we work with clients and, and a lot more effective in treatment outcomes as well. Yes, I really like that. It's helping people build like a healthier, more compassionate relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you find maybe are some of the main barriers for clients within the eating disorder space working as a dietitian? Mm. Um, the main barriers. I feel like there are a lot of a lot of barriers. Um, ones I guess that that come to mind at the moment would be probably the the emotions that come up with um, talking about change so you know it can feel really scary um, or you know feelings of guilt or shame can come up when we're talking about food or body and I suppose having a place and given time to process those kind of explore those and to see whether we can get um, any shifts in those so that we can still create some change um, and be of support to the individual. I think there's a lot of normalizing within our society around these particular dieting and ways of eating and the behaviors that it's really difficult to kind of pull that out and you know where is the line from that you know being somewhat accepted and and just normalized versus this is a serious eating disorder and so I think there's a lot of exploring that happens there and education perhaps around it may be common but it shouldn't be normal for someone to be doing these behaviors um, and therefore how can we support someone to move away from that um, I think the illness itself, there is a lot of, um, uh, you know, control, the the feeling of control and how that is, you know, in the moment quite helpful for the individual. And so it can feel very much out of control when someone is working towards recovery and changing things. So I think um, that that particular aspect can be a real barrier for someone when they feel such a sense of being out of control when they're trying to resist the the eating disordered way of being. Um, and then probably there's there's probably a financial barrier as well. So we know that for people seeking eating disorder treatment, it can be quite a lengthy process and quite an intensive treatment model. And there's there's cost and expense to accessing treatment as well. So there it's fantastic that we do have some Medicare item numbers that are specific for people who have a referral under an eating disorder treatment plan can access some rebates. But again, it doesn't cover the cost of the entire treatment. And so there is that financial barrier, which does sometimes prevent people to, you know, being able to have the right intensity or frequency of appointments or even to fulfill and complete what would be a treatment model 
um, in its entirety. So, you know, there's there's quite a few barriers for clients that we still have to tackle and, and to do better with. Yes, definitely. And for maybe some people who do feel those kind of barriers, do you have any maybe some advice or anything for them to, you know, want to seek treatment? Hmm. Again, this is a, an illness that can, um, you know, make the individual probably want to remove themselves or feel quite isolated from others, want to keep this quite hidden. And, you know, there is a particular probably like stigma attached to mental health in general and then also to eating disorders. And there are a lot of a lot of clinicians, a lot of community um bodies out there a lot of research that's going on to really help us better support individuals in what treatment options are available and what can be effective and so I think for someone who does have an eating disorder and is facing these barriers to not give up hope that at times we may need to trial a few different things or to reach out to a couple of different people till we get the right match for you a match that feels like this is this is helpful this feels okay I'm feeling supported um, it's something that is a journey to go on and sometimes we just need to take a chance and to hope that with seeking treatment you're going to find someone that you connect with and that you feel is there to support you yes definitely so why might a dietitian in the eating disorder space maybe use a non-diet approach to eating disorder treatment um, I feel like this is almost the only way in which you can work with with humans um, around any aspects that are there to improve health through food. The we we know the data on how damaging and the higher increased risk and likelihood of someone developing an eating disorder through dieting strategies and um, you know fo- following particular diet types or restrictiveness and you know it's just so important that dietitians are open to the idea of learning about the non-diet approach and it can feel perhaps really different to what we have been taught previously at university and it is wonderful to see that universities are now starting to offer whether it's workshops or speakers to come in to talk to dietetic students to show them this approach. And it's almost like an introductory session to it that then that sort of opens up their opportunities to learn more even post-university teaching. To me, it what it it feels good. There is so much evidence behind it and it is so lovely to have an aspect of nutrition where we can really enjoy food, we can celebrate with food, we can see how food nourishes us. There is a lot of enjoyment from eating. And there's also just the very practical aspect of being able to fuel the body to help our body function well, which then allows us to go ahead and do the day-to-day things that we want to be doing in our life. It allows us to go and travel. 
It allows us to experience different cultures and foods. It helps fuel our brain and our physical um, capabilities so that we can study, we can work, we can be with our families. Like fuel is really the source of being able to do all of this. And so we need to have a way that people feel really comfortable with eating and feel like they are well supported in that. And being a dietitian that works in the non-diet space, we are committing to not contributing towards the development of an eating disorder through giving out rigid, restrictive, you know, dictatory type diet plans. And we help people who maybe need a little bit more structure of learning how to put meals together or how to plan out what I'm going to eat for the day. And we can do that without it being a restrictive type of practice. So for me, that's where the non-diet approach feels really good in that I'm not offering up restrictions. I am offering up choice and I'm opening up opportunities for that person to really have a sense of enjoyment around food and having the confidence to build those skills, to confidently go out and independently choose what they want to eat at any given time. Yes, I really love that. So what are your favourite parts of working one-on-one with someone's relationship with food? Oh, this, I just, I think I really enjoy the entire process. So again, I enjoy the discovery and just learning about the individual, learning about their perspectives of food, really having lots of conversations around that and then seeing to asking them, what is it about what you're currently doing that doesn't feel like it's serving you well? Like, what are you actually looking for? How can I, like, where are we headed in this? And then I sort of look to how can I help support you along that journey of discovery to achieving those goals. So I think that one-on-one work for me just feels really meaningful. And then I can have such a big impact on someone's life through helping them navigate these food and eating challenges along the way. And it would be so amazing to see how people progress and what changes and if they overcome things, like you're really there with them on their journey in their life, which is really cool. Absolutely. You know, it's not just a one or two session thing. It's really helping to support change. It's helping to support the um, emotional experience, the physical experience. You know, it's it's it can be months to years on end for this journey to really feel complete. Um, and it's probably something that the individual then goes on and continues to Um, navigate themselves throughout all the different life stages um, and difference in what our body needs through all those life stages. Yes, and a lot of people do need that because everyone's life is so different and the things that they'll overcome will be different, but having kind of that training and support from someone can be so important to have. That's right, yeah. So for anyone who would like to find more information about you, Jody, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you could go to our website. So that is myrtleoakclinic.com.au. We also have a um, Instagram page as well, but mainly through that website, you can connect with us. Um, you can send us 
us an email, give us a call, and we have team members here that would um, love to connect and see if there's any way in which we can support the listeners. Yes. Well, thank you so much for this episode, Jody. It's been incredible and you've been so lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.